Heavenly Father, you are the firm foundation on which we can stand, the firm foundation on which we can build our life. You are trustworthy. You are good. You are patient. You are kind. You are exceedingly generous and abundant with your mercy and your grace and your love and your compassion. Father, as we continue our worship in opening up your word, would you reveal to us, speak to each one of us, your children, by your Holy Spirit. Every one of us is, is in a different place and yet united by the same thing. So Father, would your spirit fall afresh today on us individually and collectively? Would you open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts to hear, to believe, and to receive the good news of your son Jesus who says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. And so Jesus, you are welcome here. Have your way among us, within us, and through us. In Jesus' mighty and unmatched name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Michael Dolan. Good morning, Trinity. Good morning, good morning. For anyone that I have not met yet, my name is David. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here, so a special welcome if you are joining us for the first time or if you are new. We are in our second week of our Lenten sermon series, which is titled Truly Free. Now, Lent is one of these uh, semi-churchy words that some may be familiar with. It actually has its roots in the German language and points to the longer days of the spring season. Amen, someone. But in the church world, amen, Mark Ray, all the way in the cheap seats. In the church world, Lent points to the 40 days leading up to Easter. And this time is typically uh, more introspective, maybe even a little bit more somber than the Advent season, which is the time period that leads up to Christmas as we remember the price that Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. And then, of course, we celebrate in the culmination Easter, his glorious resurrection. And during these 40 days, we are looking at two effects of the gospel of Jesus in the life of a believer, two ever-present realities that we have been set free from something and set free for something. Freedom from and freedom for, that when you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, he does not just set you free from sin, but for righteousness. Not just freedom from pain and trauma, but for healing and restoration. Jesus Christ does not just set our overdrawn spiritual bank accounts to zero. He sets it from overdrawn to overflowing. From the absence of blessing to the abundance of blessing. Not just free from, but free for. And today our primary scripture is going to be Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. We're going to be in chapter 4, but before we get there, let me set 
the table. Philippi is located in eastern Greece. And Paul traveled to this region during his second missionary journey, which you can read about in Acts chapter 16. Many are familiar with the conversion of the Philippian jailer, that that amazing story. That took place on that missionary journey and in chapter, Acts chapter 16. Now, Paul is now writing this letter to the Philippians years later from prison in Rome. He writes this back to this church that he planted to encourage them and to thank them. And not surprisingly, based on our topic for today, Paul's letter to the Philippians is nicknamed the letter of joy because that word in one form or fashion occurs more than any other in this letter. And it's almost like a prescription for true contentment. Now, this short letter is separated out into four chapters. Again, we'll be in chapter 4 today, verses 10 through 13. And I don't want us to lose sight of this. Paul did not write this letter from his retirement home in Boca. (laughs) He just spent three decades being severely beaten over and over and over again. Persecuted, rejected, imprisoned, all for preaching the gospel. And as he stares down the last couple years of his life in prison, alone, this is the moment when culture would say he has nothing. And yet he writes this letter to the Philippians declaring that he has everything. So with that in mind, in the pewback Bible in front of you will be on page 953. The text will also be on the screen. Join me in Philippians chapter 4. Verses 10 through 13, Paul writes, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any In every circumstance, whether well-fed, I'm sorry, I know what it is to be in need, I know what it is to have plenty, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, would you illuminate this word for us today? Would you light up our mind, light up our heart, light up our soul, invigorate and inspire us with this gospel truth? And would we not just learn it? Would we not even just know it or believe it? Would we receive it? And would we live out of these truths contained in your word? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, within the framework of this freedom from and freedom for, it is crystal clear, or at least should be, that Jesus Christ freed Paul from a life of insatiable appetite, a life of unyielding consumption for contentment. That is clear with what he just wrote. That is clear in many of his other writings. You will hear the same thing over and over again. In fact, in the chapter before this in Philippians, he gives his resume and says, I count it all as a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And so this week I worked on this sermon that focused on our insatiable appetite, and biblical contentment until 3.08 yesterday afternoon, at which point I realized I was not content with my content. (laughs) 
which is ironic, writing a sermon about biblical contentment and not liking it. (laughs) But the reason I didn't like it was I was convinced that I was answering questions no one was asking. And so I I just felt, every time I tried to go one way, God just pushed me another way. And so I rewrote the whole thing. And here it is. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it's, 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 it's done. Don't hear. Yeah. But listen, I don't think I need to convince any of us that we have an insatiable appetite and along with it an ever-present unfulfillment, especially in the West. As a Western society, we have more money, more possessions, more calories in our diet, and more square footage in our homes than a Russian czar did 100 years ago. And yet our happiness continues to go down. As part of my research for this sermon, I read through the World Happiness Report from 2021. And I'm sorry I did that because ironically it made me sad. (laughs) And it made me sad because for the past 10 years, globally, the trend is down. Less happiness, less fulfillment, more worry, more anxiety increased depression. Every single one of us leads a life that we think and hope will bring us happiness. We strive for more and for better. We buy and sell. We consume products and pills and people and entertainment. And so often we put our faith and hope and the trust in the things of this world that we think will fulfill us when they can only fail us. We are looking for contentment. We're looking for that fulfillment. But how many times have we achieved something or taken in that which we thought would fill us only to realize it does not because it cannot? We say, if I just had that job, if I just had that money, if I just got into that college, if I was in that relationship, if I had that affirmation of those people, if I had that power, if I was given that authority, if I, if I just had that body type, And then we read Paul's words here to the Philippians and they just explode the gospel right in the center of our constant unfulfillment and right in the middle of that world happiness report. I learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now, I think we are well acquainted with this insatiable appetite I don't think we're well acquainted with true biblical contentment. And so with my time today, I want to zero in on this contentment that Paul references. And I want us to realize, understand, grab a hold of the power that is contained therein. And so I want us to ask and answer three questions. What does true biblical contentment free us from? What does true biblical contentment free us from? For and where does it come from? What does it free us from? What does it free us for? And where does it come from? Now, before we dive in, a point of clarification. This word contentment that Paul uses, it's autarkis. He sort of takes two words and like smashes them together in the Greek. One word carries with it that post-Thanksgiving meal feeling, that like stretchy pants, like never want to see food again. I can't believe how much I just ate feeling. The other means self. What he does not mean is being full of oneself. 
What he means is being fully satisfied in your soul. That's what biblical contentment is. That's what Paul is talking about. So what does this free us from? Well, look at verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Remember, part of Paul's point in writing this letter is to thank the Philippians. They had put together on more than one occasion a care package, a financial package for Paul, and they sent it through a fellow laborer in the gospel named Epaphroditus. So Paul is saying, I received the gift and I am very grateful for it. We see that in verse 10. It's even more evident in the four verses or five that come after this, verses 14 through 19. But notice in Paul 10 that Paul doesn't explicitly thank the Philippians. He is certainly grateful. That is implied in what he writes. But who does he explicitly thank? I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. Paul rejoiced in the Lord at their offering, not because of what it meant for him, but because of what it meant for his brothers and sisters in Philippi. He rejoiced greatly in the Lord because one of the marks of a gospel-shaped life is an ever-growing sacrificial generosity. He rejoiced because of the transformation taking place in the hearts and lives of the Philippians. Now, this type of generosity is not easy, but it is always freeing. Why? Well, remember, everyone believes in something. Even the atheist, everyone has faith. The question is not if you have faith. The question is, how reliable is that which you put your faith in to accomplish that which you ask it to? How reliable is that in which you put your faith to accomplish that which you ask it? When we put our faith in money, it makes us strive to attain it and strive to retain it. We work ourselves to death to get it, and then we hoard it because what would happen if we ever lost it? In that relationship, who is the slave and who is the master? Paul is praising Jesus here because true biblical contentment frees us from reliance on an incapable yet demanding master and frees us for dependence on a trustworthy and generous Lord and Savior. It frees us from reliance on, an, on a demanding master and for dependence on a trustworthy and generous Savior. Gospel contentment frees us from a life of selfish hoarding for sacrificial giving. It frees us from a life of worry and anxiety for a life of radical generosity. And true biblical contentment frees us not just from reliance on money and material possessions, it also frees us from relying on our own effort. Look at what Paul writes in verse 11, or maybe more importantly, what he doesn't write. In verse 11, he says, listen, I'm not bringing up money in your offering because I'm in need. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Notice, Paul does not write, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned not to have needs. 
No, that was the belief of the Stoic philosophers at that time who removed all emotion from their life. And it's a central tenet of Buddhism that in order to not experience the pain and suffering of loss, you eliminate desire. You want a higher standard of living, but you can't attain it. You eliminate the desire for a higher standard of living. But that creates a logical inconsistency or paradox whereby you desire to eliminate desire. But no, Christianity's answer to poverty is not to hate money. Christianity's answer to politics is not to hate government. Christianity's answer to loneliness is not to hate friendship, which is why Paul's answer to need was not the elimination of want. Do you know what an exhausting life that would be? The Bible never once questions our desire for fulfillment. I want to say that one more time. The Bible never once questions your desire for fulfillment. It only questions the source. So the answer is not suppression or elimination. The answer to this insatiable appetite is surrender and transformation. It's not a giving up. It's a giving over. Biblical contentment frees us from that constant reliance on our own effort to be happy and satisfied, and it frees us for rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when we enjoy that rest, the Holy Spirit does a work in us that recalibrates our desire. It doesn't eliminate it. It recalibrates it. Now, why is this important? Let me get really real for a second. I've got three teachers at, at Covenant that are mourning the loss of a parent. And many of us still in one form or fashion are still grieving the loss of our brother John. Does a gospel-shaped life strive to eliminate the love we have for others so as to eliminate the pain of that loss? No. The promise of Jesus Christ is that contentment and peace is available in the midst of the pain and the loss not because we eliminate our love for others, but because we receive Jesus' love for us. If you're mourning a loss, the promise of Jesus Christ is that contentment and peace is available within that pain and within that loss. It is not your work and your striving to overcome that. It is receiving Jesus' love for you. Now, Paul also writes that true Christian contentment, true biblical contentment, is not reliant on our circumstances. Look what he says in verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, we've parsed this out before. Many of us know and have studied and understand the, the difference between happiness and joy, the difference between happiness and, and true biblical contentment. Happiness being circumstantial, right? I have plans to go to the beach today, and so I'm happy 
that it's 90 degrees out and sunny. But what's astounding about what Paul writes here, every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, and what struck me this week was that true biblical contentment frees us from the temptations and torment of our circumstances. Paul says that his soul was full, whether in plenty or in want. Think about this with me. See if this resonates with you. Personally, when I am in need physically or emotionally, when I'm in need, I am prone to three primary temptations. Complaint, comparison, and compromise. I complain to God, I will complain about God. I compare what I have to what others have. And I am tempted to compromise integrity, health, morals. When I have plenty, I am tempted to pride, judgment of others, and forgetting God. In plenty or in need, temptations come. And my guess is I'm not alone there. Look at what Proverbs 30 says. The author wrote, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me neither poverty nor riches. I have never prayed that. (laughs) Ever. Ever. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you. And say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. The circumstances of our life come and go, we know that, but they never come empty-handed. They bring trials, they bring temptations, the times of loss and pain, they can bring torment. And if we are reliant on our circumstances, we're utterly rudderless, tossed to and fro, up one day, down the next. We become discontent with ourselves, We can become discontent with others. We can become discontent with God. But biblical contentment frees us from a reliance on our circumstances and frees us for a life of gratitude. Times of scarcity have a way of shifting our focus to all that we lack. But true biblical contentment reminds us to be grateful for all we've been given. Times of plenty focus our thanksgiving only on what we have. But true biblical contentment reminds us to be grateful to the one who gave it. And one more important point about biblical contentment in our circumstances. Contentment within our circumstances does not mean indifference to our circumstances. Contentment within our circumstances does not mean indifference to them. Now, I said this in the first episode. I don't know really why I wrote this. I don't know if this is for me, for all of us, for for someone else in here. But stop settling for a life that is less than the Lord has purposed 
for you and through you. Stop settling for less than the Lord has purposed for you and through you. Stop allowing your past to define your future. Stop shrugging your shoulders at the brokenness of your neighborhood. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy. Stop giving power to people in your life that are not pointing you to Jesus. Stop being the one in someone else's life that is not pointing them to Jesus. Stop it, stop it, stop it. If you are settling for less than what God has for you, please know the gift of being content within our circumstances comes with the power to not be controlled by them. The gift of being content within them comes with the power of not being controlled by them. Now, if biblical contentment does not come from striving, if it does not come from the pursuit of pleasure, if it doesn't come from our circumstances or in the abundance of possessions, if it doesn't come from six-pack abs or popularity or the affirmation of man, if it doesn't come from the absence of need or personal achievements, Paul, please tell us, what's this secret you found? Where does biblical contentment come from? Verse 13, we all know it. Read it with me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul, how are you able to remain grateful in times of plenty and and grounded in times of plenty and grateful in times of need and not grumbling in times of need? Christ. How are you able to survive the beatings and the rejections and the imprisonment? Christ. How are you able to advance the gospel after being shipwrecked and afflicted? Christ, how can we receive this true contentment and be set free from gossip and slander and rejection, the inner critic, the burden of performance, the lies of our past, the idols of our present, the failures of our future, the cycle of sin, the strongholds of addiction, the despair of loss? How can we live open-handed, reach our neighbors, take steps of faith when all we see is uncertainty. The devil would have you believe you cannot, but the truth is that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If you have given your life to Christ, then this same Jesus that Paul had is the same Jesus that has you. This Jesus who got up from his throne, showed up here on earth, He lived up to God's law. He climbed up on the cross. He gave up his life. And three days later, he rose up from the grave. He did not do all that so we would constantly be let down by this world, but that we would be filled up by his Holy Spirit. The best, the very best this world can offer you will always and every time leave you empty. It is only Jesus who fills And he is enough. Listen to what Paul writes to the Colossians. This is chapter 1, verse 15. Paul writes, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything and is supreme over all creation. 
For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we see and the things we can't see. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before everything else, and he holds everything in creation together. He is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Trinity, what else do we need? What else do we want? This is who lived for you. This is who died for you. This is who lives in you. What else could we want? What else could we possibly need? He is enough. Listen, the message of the gospel is not that when you believe in Jesus Christ, everything goes right for you after that. Sell that to Paul, who a couple years after writing this was beheaded in Rome. The message of the gospel is that whatever comes your way, Jesus is enough. The strength to survive the trials and temptations. The strength to become a victor over instead of a victim of your circumstances. The everlasting satisfaction of our soul is found in no other name than the name of Jesus Christ. Corey Ten Boom, many of you know her. Um, she lived in the Netherlands and, and she uh, hid uh, many, many of the Jews from the occupying Germans uh, and from the Holocaust. She said this. She said, you will never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Trinity, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Do not submit again to the yoke of an insatiable appetite. When Jesus is our sole satisfaction, we will have true satisfaction in our soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit's inspiration of Paul to write these words this world can be a dark place. It can be heavy. The pain and the sting of loss is real. The loneliness and depression is real. The trials and temptations that come with plenty are real. And so we read these, these words from Paul that he is content in every single situation. Whether he has plenty or whether he is in need Father, this world needs that biblical contentment. We need this biblical contentment. I need this biblical contentment. And it is available today for everyone through faith and trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, for anybody in here, for every struggling saint, would you make this power and strength ever present in their life. And for anybody that has not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, would you convict? Would you convert? Would you give them this relationship that frees them from all of the chains that bind them? Holy Spirit, would you move in a way that only you can do? In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you. We praise you. Amen.